Wow. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Welcome to those who are on live stream as well. We're glad you're here with us. And uh, If you turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18, we've been working our way through a series uh, quite a bit this summer just on relationship recovery, things that happen uh, to our relationships, and there's things that you can do in the Scripture that help make things right, help turn things around. Uh, Jesus had all kinds of opportunity to not just teach it, but practice it. He's our go-to. He's the foundation, uh, the cornerstone that we take every measurement from. So Matthew 18 is Jesus uh, teaching us how to fight. Uh, we, we get a sermon just recently on whether to fight or forbear, whether to have forbearance and just allow things to happen, or whether you stand up and, and do something about it. There's a right way to do that. There's a wrong way to do that. And we want to explore that today. I think next Sunday, uh, I think we'll do a sermon. I'm thinking of maybe doing one, teaching married couples how to fight. When we do um, premarital counseling, I always do a session on how to fight. You're going to fight, so you might better learn the right way to do it and fight one way uh, biblically, and, and it's going to happen. And so uh, we'll see if, if, if that comes together for next weekend or not. As you know, uh, I grew up in Canada, and uh, my grandfather was a gruff old trapper and uh, just a mountain man, hillbilly. And uh, he, there were a lot of cousins and a lot of kids, a lot of redheads, and, uh, but somehow he, he had special favor toward me. He loved me. I don't think he ever knew my name. I think he, he just called me boy. Hey, boy. Come here, boy. Do this, boy. Do that, boy. And uh, he loved taking me fishing, and, and I, I didn't know how to fish. No one taught me how to do that. But the, these, these lakes, that he, he owned two lakes, and they were very hard to get to. You had to be a mountain goat to kind of get down to the little tiny landing they would just be big enough to put the nose of a boat in. And the boat was always half sunk with water. Uh, we'd have to, the first thing you do is when you got down to the boat, which was taking your life in your hands, you'd have to bail the boat out, which meant it had this slippery bottom. And it would fill up with water again. Uh, and and uh, you just have to, it kept the fish fresh. Uh, they'd be flopping, flop, flopping along in the bottom of the, the, the water in the boat. I remember one time he said, hey, boy, come here. And so I, I had to make my way down to his end of the boat. He sat in the, in the uh, pointy end of the boat, and uh, the bottom was slippery and little nails coming up, and you're in your bare feet. And, and I had these bell-bottom blue jeans on, and, and uh, he said, give me your foot. And so I lifted my foot up, and he took out a great big bowie knife, a great big hunting knife, cut off a section of my blue jeans, and poked it in a seam that was leaking water with his knife. It doesn't give you any assurance. You, the lake is supposed to be bottomless, and there's fish in there bigger than the boat, muscalunge. And uh, uh, so you're just a little kid, and you're just terrified of being out there. There's no way to get, there's no way to rescue you if anything goes wrong. And there'd be these storms would come up on the lake. And anyway, I, I love my grandfather, and I love, and he was a storyteller, and he loved being with me and, and would take me fishing. The uh, problem is, is I, I wanted to cast like he cast and had all this fine fishing, fishing line. And I'd cast, and next thing you know, it'd spin, and there'd be a ball of, of uh, line building up in my, my reel. And, 
And uh, so I'd have to walk down the slippery end of the boat all the way down to where he was, and he'd untangle it. And I'd try to cast again. It would get tangled again. And uh, I just, I was embarrassed. I mean, even though I was just a little kid, I was embarrassed of having to continually go back to my grandfather and have him untangle the tangles of my pole. And so I would turn my back on him, and with my own knife, I would just cut off a whole section of a fishing line and, and uh, hide it and, and start all over again. And it's just fishing. When I met the Lord at, at 21 and, and I became a disciple of Jesus right away, he brought that whole story back to me because I I'd developed a pattern in my life that when there are relationship tangles, it just seemed like in my life there were all these tangles of different relationships and boyfriend and girlfriends and cousins and my own brothers and sister and, and just, just lots of relationship. I just found it was a lot easier just to cut that relationship off and start all over again. I, I would even move from town to town or uh, change, change locale just because I'd all the relationship tangles that had happened. But then when I met Jesus, he wouldn't allow me to do that. And, and as I followed him in the four Gospels, I saw something in him. Uh, and he, he teaches it here in Matthew 18, but he demonstrates it all the way through the four Gospels, where he would speak honestly, confronting how he felt and what, he, what was happening. And they would try to trap him. And he would just be really honest with them, raw honest with them. Sometimes he'd say, you're, you're just the offspring of a serpent. Uh, what a, you would think that'd be a mean thing to say or a harsh thing to say, but we know Jesus always spoke the truth in love. So they couldn't have felt uh, uh, rejection. They would have felt love, but their skin was so tough. Their hide was so tough. Their thinking was so hardened. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll teach on the perils of a hard heart. It happens. It happens in Christians. It happened with the Pharisees. He would call them a hypocrite right to their face, right in front of everybody. And it wasn't to be mean. It was, the, it was to penetrate. It was so that they would go home and they would think about their behavior and repent. And we just have to believe that he, he wasn't saying these things to offend them. He was saying these things. In fact, one time the disciple says, don't you know that... You, you're offending the Pharisees with your, with your honesty. And uh, uh, he would just say things. And so uh, there's a place of, of cultivating a level of openness and honesty where you tell people what you're thinking, tell people what, what, what they've done to you, where they've offended you. And that's what Matthew 18 is about. So I thought this morning we'd just take some time to go through this uh, and, and try to explore it. So let's go down to verse 15. Uh, Jesus, by the way, had, had already prefaced this by saying, offenses will come. You will be offended. You'll be offended in this church. You'll be offended in your marriage. You'll be offended in relationships. Somebody's going to do something that you're not going to like. And so this is, this is Jesus' solution to being offended, and uh, one of them. And so Matthew 18, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and so that's the issue. It's not them doing something to somebody else and you get offended, uh, like once removed. 
it has to happen to you personally. Uh, that person who was offended is going to have to find the courage to step up and, and, and say what they need to say. What he doesn't say, he doesn't say bury it. He doesn't say push it down and just kind of just take it. He says, when someone sins against you, go to them. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother, which is the goal. So when somebody does something that, that personally affects you, you have to go to them in person. You have to go to them one by one. It doesn't say email them. It doesn't, of course, there's no email back then. But the idea is uh, the word confront is, is made up of two Latin words, and it means face-to-face. -face. It means forehead-to-forehead. Comes frans is, is face to face. The contrast to that, the opposite of that, is called backbiting. And backbiting is where you speak against someone rather than speaking to them. And that happens, that happens in churches, happens in marriages, and it will wreck a relationship. It'll wreck fellowship. And Jesus is saying, no, the way to do it. Now, by the way, this is not for wimps. This is not for whiners. This is not for uh, weaklings. This is serious Christianity. This is, this is hard to do, especially if you're like me. I don't like to confront. This is hard to do. But it's easier than anything you can think of as an alternative. It's easier than anything that we're already doing, which is to cut people off or move or change churches or change relationships or start all over with somebody else. That cutting that string, cutting that fish line, sooner or later you run out of fish line. Sooner or later you run out of friends, you run out of churches. I mean, this is easier than any alternative we would gravitate to that just says, well, I'll, I'll dodge around, I'll, I'll get around this somehow. No, Jesus says, very direct, someone does this to you, and, and the goal is to do this and do it in a, in a, in a, a loving way, but, but do it quickly. Do it right away. Do it prayerfully, but go to them and say, look, uh, you don't have to judge their motives. You don't have to tell them why they did it. You just have to say, here's what you did, and here's how it's affecting me. Put it in those terms. Hard to argue with that. People sometimes will receive it. Sometimes people won't receive it. In the book of Proverbs, uh, I mined these out one time. I think there's a dozen versus how to receive correction, how to receive someone speaking into your life. And it uses the word instruction. And in the Living Bible, it says, get all the help you can get. Get all the criticism you can get. No one likes to be criticized, but we don't like it when people are at odds with us and they don't tell us. Have you ever been to a restaurant or a business that says, if you don't like our business, tell us. If you do like our business, tell everybody. But if you don't like it, tell us. Well, when you try to tell someone that their business or their, their, their fries are, are cold or whatever, yeah, they don't like it. Nobody does. Nobody likes to be criticized. But in Proverbs, it says a wise man will invite it. A wise man will say, tell me, tell me the truth. Tell me what you're... A wise man will say, I need every, all the perspective I can get. I don't see myself. I have blind spots. Please tell me. And, and it's a real art form to be able to receive objective input without falling apart. Uh, so there's times I'm good at it. There's times I'm not. But it, it is something that 
Uh, it must be such a human issue because Proverbs addresses it probably a dozen times. So the guy on the other end of this, he has to have the wisdom to say, thank you for coming to me. In fact, if someone comes to you and tells you something you did wrong, here's your response. Grab them by both shoulders, bring them in close, and kiss them right in the middle of the forehead and say, thank you for telling me. Thank you for telling me. Uh, I mean, it's people who have bad breath are the last people to know it. And, and maybe they're just telling you something that you need to change. And so stop and say, can, what courage it took for you to screw up the courage to come and tell me that? Thank you for telling me. They may not tell you everything, and they may not tell it in the best way, but you need to know how to respond. So there's two ends of this. One, if your brother sins against you, there is an offense that happens to other people where somebody does something to other people and you get offended. And Proverbs addresses that as well. It says it's like taking a, going up to a sleeping dog and grabbing it by the ears. Well, you'll get bit. You'll get hurt. Messing with someone else. There are two dogs are fighting and you try to separate them, man, you'll get hurt. But this is an issue where it happens to you, where you're the one that they sinned against. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's what happens so often is we don't have the courage to go directly to that person, so we tell other people their fault, what they did. Did you know what they did to me? And, and uh, the backbiting uh, contains the word defamation, where you're actually, actually uh, uh, bringing a bad image upon that person. You're telling other people what they did wrong uh, you're going to lose a friendship. You can mark it down. If you do that, you can know for sure the person you're even telling may someday end up not being your friend, and they just say, well, they keep coming to me, and they keep telling me about other people. I don't want to be their friend. I don't want them to do that to me. The person you're speaking about it, when they hear that you're speaking about them, you can say goodbye to that friendship. That, that, that friendship can hardly survive that. So the idea is to go to, you, go to the person alone, by yourself. Not easy to do. Not easy to do. But easier than anything else you can come up with. Verse 16. But if he will not hear, and sometimes they can't receive it, maybe because their perspective on what they did and how they are is different than yours. And they can't hear it. So then you take one or two more. And that's that's tricky. You're going to have to really think that through, how you find who are the one or two. And I, I don't think it means you get everybody and their dog in on this. One or two. Really hard to find one or two. So I've kind of thought, well, who would you get? Who would you, who would you choose to go with you? I think two things should be qualifiers. One, find someone who loves Matthew 18, who does Matthew 18. Find someone who's good at Matthew 18. Someone who's embraced it. Take them with you. The second thing, I think, would be to take someone who loves you both. And they love reconciliation. It doesn't mean you get the bully. It doesn't mean you get the biggest. It doesn't mean you get the, billi the, the meanest or the junkyard dog or someone who will tear their head off. You have to find someone who, who loves, loves you both, wants to see you come back together. I bet you can't find one or two or three I think it's going to be rare to find two, one or two. But 
That's based on a premise that God himself established by, the, by one or two witnesses shall everything, by, everything be established. I think he quotes that. By two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. That was a principle that God created himself, and it works. It's actually in the court of law. When someone does something, if the, it's your word against them, but if you can find two or three witnesses to say, well, I saw the same thing. They did the same thing. It has weight. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, and this could happen, there's a thing called hardness of heart. It can happen. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even to hear the church, let him to be uh, to uh, like uh, let him be to you like a heathen and a and a tax collector. The church here is not the congregation. Uh, it can't be. You can't go and tell the whole church. It doesn't mean you publicly shame them. It doesn't mean you bring it up. Uh, I remember a lady in a church I was pastoring that was having a hard time. And so she, she wrote out a letter. And back then, we had mailboxes for all of our members. And she put her letter in every mailbox, thinking that she was telling the church what the issue was. Even her own husband didn't agree with it. He wrote on the bottom of the letter, I don't agree with this letter. It can't be the congregation. Some people take the word church here and say congregation. That's not what it means. It's actually church leadership. You always take your problems to someone. Here's a, this is a rule of thumb. You take your, if you're going to talk to somebody, talk to someone who can do something about it. Most people, you tell them they can't do anything about it. And now that they know, they can't even go and let the person know that they know. So you always complain upward. So you, get, you talk to the leadership because they can do something about it. Or you talk to the boss if it's something that's playing out at work. You talk to the boss who can do something about it. It's a wonderful rule of thumb that will save you a lot of grief. Always complain upward. You don't complain outward. Here it's the church. We know it's the church because the church, even at, even, I mean, the church wasn't even established when Jesus taught this. But very early in the church, there are so many thousands of people in every church. The church would be citywide oftentimes. In Acts 15, there was a major conflict between Gentiles and Jews. And so they had to resolve it, and they got the church together, which was the church leadership, not congregations. James said in, in Jerusalem alone, there was a myriad of believers. Um, that they counted churches in myriads back then. There's just no way you can get your issue out to the whole church. But you can take it to the leadership, and that's what it's talking about here. It's not the congregation. It's to authority, church authority. So you take it to them, and you say, and actually, this will work even between a husband and wife. The husband will not change. He will not hear. He will not see. You've, you, you're exasperated. It's worn you out. It's making you so you want to quit that relationship. Don't quit yet. Go to, the, go to the authorities who could do something about it and have the pastor sit down with him. That's a game changer. Matthew 18 is underused when it comes to crisis counseling and marriages and relationships. If you have a relationship that's completely broken, you've done your best to go to them, and you've got other people who love them to go to them, they still won't hear it, involve the leadership. It, can, it could be the thing that changes the whole thing. And then if he refuses to hear the church, treat him like 
an unbeliever. How do you treat unbelievers? You're trying to win them to Christ. So even then, you can't completely write them off. You've got to witness to them. You've got to love them. You still have to, still have to relate to them on some, le some level to get them to come back to Christ. Doesn't mean you become best friends again. And that relationship probably will never be the same. But there's a way to do it where you can see them and they can see you and you're, and you're free. You're free in that relationship. Then the church authorities. Then you have to leave it. There's a point where you say, Jesus, I've done what you've said. I, 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 here, I've gone to them. I, I've gotten other people to go with me to them. I've turned it over to the church. Then there's a point where you just have to say, I'm done with this. I, I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. I'm going to leave it in the hands of the church authority. I'm done with this. And you go on with your life. And if they judge in a way that's not favorable to you, you have to take that judgment. If you get it to a point where you bring it to the church and you don't like what the church decides, you're going to have to leave it with the church. You're going to have to say, ah, Jesus, all I've done is exactly what your word says. I'm going to leave it with you. We have to live this way. We have to live this way of, of confronting our conflicts rather than burying them, rather than changing churches or changing relationships. By the way, I'm teaching this series these days. This is an opt opt optimum time to teach it because I'm not aware of any real conflicts that we have to address. So I'm free to be able to talk about this. This is actually a good time. Uh, there might be a time when we won't be able to talk about this openly, but today we can. This is a game changer. Matthew 18 is a game changer. What if we taught it to our kids? I mean, what if we got our, our kids so that they know how to stand up and speak the truth in love? They know how to, how to uh, express themselves in a way that's not done in anger and it's not done in a way that kills. I mean, it would be a powerful, powerful thing. I remember one time my, my uh, middle son, Josh, wasn't acting like himself. And uh, when I called him aside after school, we sat down someplace where we could talk. I said, what's, what's going on? And he burst into tears. And he says, Dad, I, I don't want to go to school anymore. I, 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 can you homeschool me? I don't want to go to school anymore. I knew he loved school. He loved his teachers. He loved his friends there. So wh what's happening? Why all of a sudden do you not want to go to school? And finally, he, he said, there's a kid on the bus, and he's a bully, and he, he's always angry at me. He's always tormenting me. He comes and sits right behind me and curses in my ear. He just swears that all the time. He's always saying things about me and speaking awful, awful things in my ear. I can't take it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I want to be homeschooled. So we take Matthew 5, and Matthew 5, we spent quite a few uh, weeks in Matthew 5 about loving those who treat you badly, praying for those, giving to those, blessing those who, who treat you badly. So I was working through some stuff in my own life, and so I took Josh there. And I said, well, let's, let's start, the Bible says, Jesus said, to pray for him. Let's, let's begin by praying for him. So I prayed for him, Josh prayed for him. Well, something happens when you pray for someone, you, you get a heart for them, and you get perspective. And I remember I was, as I was praying for him, I just had this real knowledge and awareness that 
his dad wasn't treating this boy right. And I said that to Josh. I said, I don't think, I don't think he has a dad who loves him like I love you. Let's feel sorry for him. He, he, he's having a hard time at home. Something at home is, is really off. Let's pray for him. And Josh got into that. and The compassion kicked in. And so he's praying for him. And I said, Josh, it says you have to find a way to give to him, find a way to do good to him. Uh, that's what Jesus taught. Can you think of something that we can do that would speak to him? And, and uh, it also says that I told him, I said, that you're to stand up. And you need, to, you need to look them in the eye and say, why are you doing this? And what have I done that causes you to always do this? Stand up. Look them right in the eye. Speak to them. Say, why are you doing this? What have I done? So we prayed, and, 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 and I taught him this. And it looked like the problem just seemed to go away. Josh went back to school, and... Uh, I went off my radar, and and uh, a few days later, Josh had a birthday. And Heather, he brought a bunch of boys from school home to have a birthday party, and Heather pulled me inside, and she said, do you see that big lad over there at the table? And I said, yeah. Do you know who he is? And I said, no. That's the kid from the bus. Now I want to hear what Josh, I want to hear the other side of the story, and I when it was all over, I said, what happened? He said, well, I did what you said. I prayed for him, and I kept praying for him. And then I got on the bus, and he kept doing it. So I stood up, and I turned around, and I looked at him. And I said, why are you doing this? And what have I ever done that causes you to do this? And the kid, it, it shocked him. And they, as they got talking, he said, Dad, I found out that he, was, he hated me because he says, you have a nice home, and your parents love you. And at home, he, he was going through something no kid should have to go through at home. And he just was venting his frustration on this boy whose bus stop where the parents are there and seeing him off the bus and seeing him uh, picked up at the end of the day. And he hated him for that. And he said, you know, after we got talking, I said, I'm going to have a birthday party. Why don't you come to my birthday party? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. I think our kids can learn this. I, think, I don't think that there's an age limit on being able to learn how to confront our conflicts. It's better than the alternative. It's better than burying it. It's better than moving. It's better than changing relationships, changing churches, cutting off all, the, all that fish line. I think it's a lot better than doing that. I was um, traveling in Spain one time, and uh, I had a pastor couple come with me. And um, we were talking about this kind of thing. I mean, this is a good thing to teach in churches when you're overseas and that kind of thing. And uh, I was writing a book on forgiveness at the time, and so I, we were talking about how that plays out in church. And, and she told me this story. I, I, wrote it, I wrote it out. It was an amazing story. They were passing a church where the assistant pastor uh, was offended over time, and rather than confronting, he buried it, and it became poisonous, became bitter, and he spread that venom throughout the congregation, and then one day actually stood up in front of the congregation and prophesied against the pastor, 
And uh, see, it's interesting, as, as charismatics, we don't just say it. We prophesy it in the name of the Lord. <laughs> it's even worse. Like, the Lord's telling me to tell you this. And that was it. The pastor couldn't, he couldn't let him continue on staff and uh, arrange for him to keep a salary for a while while he looked for another place. But it was over. I mean, that killed that relationship. And the pastor, the assistant pastor, actually poisoned enough people that he took them uh, across town and they started their own church and, like, took 500 people out of that church. I mean, decimated it. It was very, very painful for the pastor and his wife who was left. And they had to learn how to cope with that. And, uh, and they had raised this guy up in ministry and now he, uh, he turned on them and turned against them, turned the church against them. It was a difficult period of time. Plus, they lived both in the same town. And the wife was saying, every time I go to the grocery store, I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm going to run into them. You know, there's going to be a conflict in aisle six. And what am I going to say? And how am I going to say it? What if I meet him face to face? And it, it, was, it was very hard. She became paranoid and did not want to go shopping. When she go to shop, Go to, go to the grocery store, she'd have panic attacks thinking about what am I going to do if I run into them in such a small town. And so when she brought it to the Lord, uh, the Lord began to speak to her out of Matthew 5 about how to, how to do good to those who've done bad to you. So he suggested that she buy these flowers. And so she, you know, in the grocery store, they have a flower section well, she got the flowers, bought a vase, went to the card section, bought a card, and she wrote a card that says, I love you, and uh, would love to sit down and talk sometime. And she put it in, and she drove across town, went to the guy's house, and rang the doorbell. And he was home, but wouldn't answer the door. So she finally, after a while, just left the flowers there. Well, the next week, she was back grocery shopping. That panic attack started hitting her again. She cried out to the Lord, and she felt like the Lord said, buy him some flowers. So she bought another bouquet of flowers, bought a vase, got a card, wrote in a, I love you. I, I, I don't want it to end this way. I want to talk. And took it over to his house, rang the doorbell. He was home, but didn't answer the door. So she left the flowers. She said, a number of weeks in it, maybe 10 weeks into it, she said, I, my whole heart changed. I loved him. I was writing saying, I want to see you not to lambaste him, not to, not to pour out scorn upon him. I wanted to see him again. I wanted to express the love of God. My whole heart had changed. I, just, I loved him and his family and his wife. I loved them. I wanted to see them. I was hoping that I would run into them in the grocery store. Everything had changed. So she kept doing it. 52 weeks later, 52 bouquets of flowers, 52 cards. He never responded. And finally the Lord said, it's over. It's enough. And she was free. Free to trust again, free to go grocery shopping again. She was free. He wasn't free. He lost everything. All those people that he stole, he lost them all. The church folded. They all left him. His wife left him. He lost his job. He lost his kids' access to the... He lost everything. Couldn't hardly find a job for the longest time, and nobody wanted him to be a pastor. He lost his ministry. Finally, he got a job, and she saw him again. 
he got a job delivering flowers. And he had to deliver flowers to the church one time and actually walk in the church and leave the flowers and the card on the counter. Isn't that amazing? There's life in this for us. And we, it means face to face. It means face in this whole thing. Face in it is where the power is. Let's close with this. Matthew chapter 7. You know the story. Um, Jesus was teaching, and he's taught, taught about building your house on the sand or building your house on a firm foundation. A foundation is work. Uh, we, we were building on a foundation. Our neighbors was building. He brought in a prefab, laid it on the sand. His house was done in weeks. Ours took uh, a year and a half to build, and it was just a whole different experience. But, boy, this digging down into foundation is hard, hard work, a lot of extra work. And Jesus said, he that builds on a foundation is, is building upon my teaching, building his life upon what I said, what I did. That's not easy. That's, that's hard work. And so it's just easier just to build your house on the sand. And what Jesus taught is storms came to the house built on the sand and the house built on the foundation and built on the rock. In other words, storms going to happen to you no matter whether you're a nice person or a Christian person or it's a good church or good marriage, storms happen. And he doesn't even explain where the storms come from. Storms happen to the just, the unjust. Storms happen to the righteous, the unrighteous. Storms happen to believers and unbelievers. Storms happen. He said, but the storm, the storm assailed both houses. The flood came, the winds came, they hit both houses full bore, but the house that stood that was it was built upon doing the word of God. It's not framing it. It's not having it in sticky letters on your wall. It's not cross-stitching it and framing it. It's doing it. That's so much harder. It's not appreciating the words of Jesus. It's doing the words of Jesus. That's serious Christianity. That's not easy to do. But then your house will stand. The relationship will go. The church will make it. The church will survive. The marriage will survive. But it happens to all marriages. Happens to my marriage, happens to your marriage. Amen? Some would say, well, you know, I'm such a nice person or I'm a Christian, I'm a lovely Christian person. This, these things shouldn't happen to us. It will. In fact, the more you look like Jesus, the more you act like Jesus, the more this stuff happens. One time I was teaching this in our church and said, if you don't like someone, someone's bothering you, send, go home and make a pie and send it to them. Well, that week I got 30 pies. <laughs> and what's crazy about that was there were only 20 families in the church. So some of them made twice. That's an old joke I made up. Both of them are jokes. But, but the point is, is it doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how spiritual you are, how nice you are. This happens. It has happened. It will happen. We know how to, we have to know how to respond when it does happen. Amen? Let's stand together. It's one thing to sing it. It's another thing to do it. But let's surrender to Jesus again.
we sang it this morning. We say, Lord, I, I want my life to bring glory and honor to you. I want you to be magnified in me, my marriage, my friendships, my fellowship. Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to do what you did to become what you became. Help me. Help me. Help me to get better at this whole relationship thing. Help me to know how to bridge back. Show me how and I'll do it. Put people on my heart and I'll work at it. But I want to grow and I want to glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If people came to your mind while you're hearing me talk this morning, make the phone call. Don't text. Don't email. At the very least, make a phone call. The most, the ideal would be to go face to face and say, can we have coffee? I'll pay. I'll buy. But there's some things that I need to say. I have to prayerfully find a way to do that. So but let's, let's, let's see how far we can go with this thing. There's life in it for us. There's a re personal revival in it for us. Amen? Amen. If you need prayer this morning, I'll be over here by the piano. If there's anything you need prayer for, I'd be glad to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. We'll see you next time.